You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. By your Holy Spirit, Lord God, please speak to us now from your word. Draw us into your presence that we may worship the King. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, The Advent has a tradition that every Thursday morning at 7 a.m., a full breakfast is served in the refectory. The group is called Sunrise Sinners, and the preacher of the following, the coming Sunday, is there to kind of debrief these thoughtful Christians on what is about to take place in the sermon coming. I've really enjoyed this the last couple of years being involved with Sunrise Sinners on the week I'm going to preach. I find that you're recruiting people to pray for you because it becomes very obvious after you've spent time with them that you need prayer. But also the theme is often altered by the interaction with adventures, with their care, their concern, their thoughts, their questions. So I commend this to you. I mean, it helped me this week in preparing this message on the Magi. In the first chapter of Matthew, there are four Gentiles that are recognized in the genealogy of Jesus. There is Ruth, Tamar, Bathsheba, and Rahab. Already, Matthew gives us an indication of the scope of salvation, that it reaches into the Gentile world. Jacob, Joseph names Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He names him Jesus or Savior or Joshua from the Old Testament. And indeed, he will save his people from their sins. But his people are not just the Jews. The Jews have been chosen in order that the nations will be blessed. The Magi never would have made it into a novel, but they made it into history. They're kind of proof right out of the gate that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. The irony is that outsiders, really far-ranging outsiders become insiders in paying worship and homage to the king. And indeed, they will worship better than they know. But they worship. They bring gifts fit for a king. The Magi are a picture of the world coming to Jesus. And they're a reminder of the end of Matthew when Jesus at the ascension says, Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. The Magi represent the unexpected yet very welcome citizens of the kingdom of God. They remind us of Rahab in the days of Joshua, Naaman the Syrian in the time of Elisha, the Queen of Sheba, Only they bow before one greater than Solomon. The Samaritan woman in the Gospel of John. The Roman centurion in Luke's Gospel. 
Surely God is able to raise up children of Abraham from stones, as Jesus said. He's also able to raise up from Persian, Arabs, Mongolians, Peruvians, Saudis. Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. The wise men, the magi, came from the east. And because they appear to be intellectuals that have brought together certain information, it's often thought that they came from Babylon. These Persian Arabs coming this 500-mile distance, tracking a star. They may have been both astronomers and astrologists. Astronomers, if you break the word down, astrona and nomos, they are star messengers, or star movements, astronomers. Astrologers, astral and logos, the message of the stars. And what they've done, because they believed that there was some sort of symbiotic relationship between humanity and the planets, they believed that the movement of the stars and the message of the stars were somehow to be understood or at least explored. Now these magi had something special though, because they were partly the product of the influence and education of the Hebrews during the uh, exile. Years before, Daniel and Ezekiel opening up the Hebrew scriptures, understanding Balaam's fourth prophecy, what texts that we consider quite obscure, yet texts that informed these magi as to the history of the Hebrew people, but more than that, what was coming in the future. The placing of the magi in the Christmas story, these... Uh, indicates to us this openness to the Gentile mission. The prophet Hosea wrote, I will, show the lo I will show love to those who are called unloved. And to those who are called not my people, I will say, you are my people. And they will answer, you are my God. I think the Magi help us to re-examine ourselves as to our faith in Christ and whether or not we're willing to go the distance. Obviously, this was not just head knowledge for them. It was something that they saw had impact on you know, the whole geopolitical sphere. That God was speaking, God was moving. And I think they kind of challenge our reliance on biblical information without really following biblical truth. Are we tourists? Religious tourists? Or are we really pilgrims? On a journey that God has designed for us. You know, Thomas Cook was the first one who kind of popularized Holy Land packaged tourist tours. 1869 was the first time he sort of put it all together with bringing food from England, accessibility of uh, places to stay, uh, and easy transportation, and a modest cost relative for middle or upper middle class people. Mark Twain was one of the ones that went on that first Holy Land package tour. 
And in his uh, typical sarcastic way, Mark Twain, on the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, because tourism kind of exaggerated claims about the, the promised land and the holy land, Mark Twain wrote, How touching it was here in a land of strangers, far from home and friends and all who care for me, to thus discover the grave of a blood relation. Adam was supposedly buried at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The Magi were not on a package tour, and neither are we. They covered that distance with something of an intellect, intuition, intelligent understanding that God was making himself in some way evident. They make us think of Abraham. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. They validate Simeon's prophetic insight. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. They look forward to Paul, the apostle's affirmation. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I don't want to be a tourist looking for amusement or adventure. I want to be a pilgrim on a long obedience in the same direction. I'd prefer a challenging life of faith over a simple life of pleasure. I want to follow the call of God into the complexities of trust and obedience and suffering. I want to be called out of my small world of superficial concerns into the large world of God's making. Instead of a safely planned religious journey, I want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus on a faith journey marked by the cross. Lord, make me like the Magi. When the providence of God, they come to Jerusalem and they enter into Herod's court did the star just shine over Jerusalem? Was it necessary and was it in God's providence that they not show up at Bethlehem but they show up first in Jerusalem? It's interesting, some theologians see in this that creation can take you so far but then you also need God's word, his special revelation to speak into the understanding of creation. It's also highly likely that these Persian diplomats, these magi, these intellectuals, would have seen fit to recognize the authority of Herod coming into his land and believing that what they were excited about, he would be excited about positively. As it turned out, Herod understood it as a threat. But he, Herod calls in the religious experts, the scribes, the Pharisees, because of the question, where is born, who is born the king of the Jews, where is he? And the religious scribes and Pharisees, and under, they understand the prophecy from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. I see him, but not now. I behold him that star of Jacob that is shining in uh, 
in the land. And the Magi understanding that this configuration of Jupiter and Saturn in the uh, constellation of Pisces somehow pointed to a cosmic ruler. But what I find striking is that the religious leaders seem very non-committal, indifferent, apathetic. They give the knowledge to the Magi, but that's as far as it goes. I don't want to be a religious expert, a Bible expert, as opposed to a truth seeker who follows the word of God to its meaning and its purpose and its life-changing transformation. Their knowledge was not good to them. They knew it. But it was a knowledge about God rather than a knowledge of God. And it really had no impact on their life. Jesus said, you diligently search the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me. I don't want to be a Bible expert. I want to be an obedient disciple of Christ. Lord, make me like the Magi. I don't want to settle for information about God. I want to know God. Well, the Magi are allowed to leave. Josephus explains the kind of irrational nature of Herod that it, it kind of made sense that he just let them go without an armed guard without a follow-up troop, without spies. They just let them go, and they go to Bethlehem. They're warned not to go back to Herod, and that's a whole other story, the Herod massacre and the darkness that involves Bethlehem with maybe up to 50 boys being killed because of Herod's uh, jealousy over even the report of one who was born king of the Jews. But that darkness is there, but for a moment, let's look at that scene where the Magi come into the presence of God bearing gifts, gifts fit for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this is where the Sunrise Sinners last Thursday helped me because they tapped in like really good Episcopalians into the symbolism of these gifts. Gold standing for royalty, the most valued material element. Frankincense used in the Old Testament for worship in the tabernacle. And myrrh, John 19 refers to myrrh being used in the embalming of Jesus. These three gifts, the theologian Irenaeus saw as symbolizing that which was represented in Jesus Christ, the incarnate one. The king who deserved to be worshipped, who came to die and then to rise again. There are three profound truths, I think, that come out of the story of the Magi. All of us are like the Magi in that we are all afar off. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And like the Magi, we are brought near. We are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. And the Magi remind us, secondly, 
of that great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. What John's Gospel says in a sentence, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Matthew says in a story, showing us the width of God's mercy. And then thirdly, the first to show us that the last will be first and the first will be last are the Magi. In Matthew's Gospel, they will be joined by the lepers and the lame and the poor and the blind and the crooks and the prostitutes. For some reason, the right quotation marks, the right people didn't respond. And judging from the world, the wrong people responded. Lord, I don't want to be a tourist. I want to be a pilgrim. Lord, I don't want to be an expert. I want to be a truth seeker. Lord, make me like the Magi, bowing, worshiping better than I know. They certainly did, and we certainly do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.